Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This, I think, is a really, like, lovely, genuinely funny film, extremely charming, and, like, I think it really shows why Emma Stone became a star. I just think she's brilliant in this. It's the same thing that I love about Andrew Garfield. Like, she's got that real, like, theatre nerd heart where she's not allowed. She, like, she goes for it so much, she's not afraid to be embarrassing. So even when you know the beats of the story, I just think she's such an enjoyable force to watch and rewatch and rewatch again. Can I just say it for Stanley Tucci? Man knows how to wear a Henley shirt. Like, his arms in this. Oof. So maybe I don't <laughs> want him to be my dad. Yeah. Maybe I want him to be my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Flixwater Podcast today, guys. I'm joined by Layla. Hi. Hannah. Hello. Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about EZA. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Layla and Hannah. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hello, uh, I'm Hannah Flint. I am a film critic, a writer, interviewer, host. I'm a multi-hyphent film person. One of these one of these people. You know, these people do as much as I can to get paid. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I write for loads of places, but I suppose uh, I'm actually part of the strip media family already. <laughs> um, I, I have uh, two podcasts at the moment. I've got um, weekly reviews podcasts with uh, fellow critics Amon Warman and Clarice Lockery. So both formerly of this podcast, they've both been on, on here before. Oh, they've been here first, so now you've yeah. completed it. The power of three is We've complete. We've got the set. Absolutely. We've got the full set. Yes, there we go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we do weekly film reviews, so tune in on Sundays. And I also have, we've launched like a little limited series called The First Film Club, which is a kind of podcast extension of an event screening series we ran um, prior to the pandemic. And we used to screen directorial debuts of some of the British filmmakers mostly, because it's been Amarasante, Mike Lee and Gurinder Chada, all their debuts. Mm. And we pair them with a short filmmaker who hasn't made the first feature and we do a little screening, Q&A afterwards. But uh, now we've kind of expanded the format so that we can speak to anyone about their first films. And so, yeah, there's the ones that are up now. There's the ones that's just gone live is uh, is lilting with Carmel uh, Cochran, a casting director. And we had Michael Lehman, the director of Heather's. So, yeah. What, what's the special thing about the people's first films? Because sometimes it's like, like Lulu Wang's first film, I'm just like... No, that's not fair. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's something special about, you know, first film, first director, first time acting, like Barkhad Abdi in, in Captain Phillips, for example. I'm like, dude, this is, people have worked years to get to the level you're at. And it's, tell us what is, what's special about the first film. I think what's special about a first film is this kind of like, 
I don't know, the childlike wonder of anything is possible. Do you know what I mean? It's like you go in there and you're quite like, okay, <laughs> let's wing it or kind of like work and small budgets, you know, um, or even just like, you know, we had Genevieve Gaunt on her first film. She had one line in it. She played Pansy Parkinson, but it's like she was in Prison of Azkaban, that being mm. your first film. She had one line and she was on it for 16 weeks. So you get a really crash course about like how like, movies and studios work so I think everyone's so amazing is that everyone's got their unique take on it like Carmel Cochran like she <laughs> you listen to it she will I mean she says that she had no clue what she's doing but clearly she did very well because the cast of that with Ben Whishaw and yeah. Cheng Pepe and like there's so many people who are amazing so yeah I think there's a kind of it's nice to see where someone started because in a way it kind of grounds you of where you've where you've gone you know, especially yeah. people who've been doing it for a while. It's really interesting to kind of remind yourself of just how far you've come. Sometimes it's, it, it's, it is annoying when you see such accomplished first films. It is like a, a Jordan Peele, get get out, here's this first film. That's that's insane as well. Yeah, uh, but, then I think, but that's good though, isn't it? It just it goes is. to show that like people have got that innate talent. And, yeah. and, and you know what's so interesting? What I will say though, I think, you know, we say they're first films, but it's their first feature films. A lot sure. of these people have done TV shows or something else. So it's yeah. actually like, what is, so what's really interesting is talking about like, what are the steps that have come to get there in the first Absolutely. place? Yeah. So it's like, it's really interesting how much that affects and, and just informs the way they want to make movies. And what's so interesting is how often something that they've learnt on their first film is something that they carry with them through every project. Leila, who are you and what do you do? Oh, I am a writer, critic, broadcaster. I don't have a podcast, which is making me feel very, very left out in this group. <laughs> I am uh, the guest host of the Little White Lies podcast, but I'm yet to kind of, you know, give myself a proper one by myself. Uh, yeah, I work for um, Total Film, Little White Lies, The AV Club, uh, Sight and Sound, anyone that will have me really, and uh, pop up on the radio. You also have a, uh, you have a columnist, you're a columnist at Curzon. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah they, God, they'll be. Re- I might. They might take my column for me if they realise I didn't mention them in my little bio. <laughs> Bury the lead. <laughs> but yeah, it is interesting what you're talking about with these first films. Because I was just thinking about Steve McQueen and how you know, sure, mm. technically his 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 first film was Hunger, but he was like an award-winning video artist for many years before that, and yeah, had like a Turner it. Prize and had represented Venice, you know, England at Venice, and you know, done all these things. So who's like, there's not that big a binary for like first, I suppose. Mm-hmm. No, I mean Reggie Yates' first film, Pirates. He, but he's talked about working. He's, he did many shorts, written many shorts, filmed many shorts before, I before really Pirates. Like Pirates. I think that's on Netflix now, actually. Yeah, it so, is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guys, Come Netflix. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I, I really want but to. But also, it's I really feel like there are a lot of people's first films that are terrible and we will not yeah. discuss. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about um, Easy A today, which is your choice, Layla. Yeah. Um, can you tell us, first of all, why did you choose this film? And second of all, um, I'll give you a 60 seconds or less to give us the uh, synopsis. So first of all, why did you choose it? Uh, I chose it because it was really what I was in the mood for. Hannah and I had been discussing about what films mm. that we would choose for this podcast. And I had just been watching a ton of like horror shorts that day and really bleak things. And I just felt that I needed like a warming tonic and something like truly enjoyable, like a balm to wash over me and to have a little bit of nostalgia for it. Because, you know, this is I think I was like about 19 when this came out. And so this feels very much like something that spoke to like 
the sexual politics of like young young womanhood for me and mm. something that was really funny and fun and I love watching I mean it's not her first one but I think it's her star making term and I adore Emma Stone in this so yeah that's why I chose Easy A. Okay so I'm gonna set the timer and you have 60 seconds starting now. Go. So, uh, yeah, so Easy A is about a young woman called uh, Olive, who is a kind of very unpopular girl in her high, high school, very uninterested. None of the boys are particularly interested in her. She has a kind of toxic friendship with uh, one friend. Um, and she, in order to get out of hanging out with her friend and her weird parents, she tells a lie that she's got a date. Her friend then assumes that she's had sexual intercourse with someone and starts a rumor about her. She decides that she's going to take on this kind of rumor of slutdom within the school, being inspired by the Scarlet Letter and, you know, um, just say that she is actually a sexually active person, even though she isn't, stitch a Scarlet A to herself and kind of uh, be empowered by it and enjoy the whole school being tantalized by her antics, which aren't really happening and claim to sleep with loads of boys. We've all been very nice. You started that synopsis with uh, Olive is an unpopular person. The thing about high school films that always kind of gets, I always kind of think, not that I care about popularity so much, but I wonder what, if I were, A, how true life is, and B, if I wasn't a clique, would I be, would I be a popular clique? Or I I don't know, it, it, it seems like a weird thing, but Emma Stone, off the back of it, she doesn't seem that unpopular. She's got a couple of friends, she's got a loving family, so... She seems already a bit better off than other people in other teen films. I don't know, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, she reminded me a bit of um, the cool girl monologue in Gone Girl. Like, she is the sort of, like, girl that doesn't really exist that we're sold in films and that she's, like, stunningly gorgeous, incredibly quick-witted, has a loving home life, quite stylish, very, like, smart. And it's like, mm. yes, it's hard to take this person really as being an outcast, but perhaps she's, like, the outcast that people that really were outcasts could kind of you know, take some comfort in that they had someone like Emma Stone <laughs> representing them. It's so weird because I, I I have not got that read on this character at all. I think she becomes an outcast. I think she's just been, she reminds me of all just the kind of, the the girls, girls that I knew as well. And maybe I was at, but it's like, they just keep below the radar. Mm. They're just like doing their thing. They're just studying. They know that their lives is going to, vastly improve the minute they leave high school do you know what I mean that sort of that sort of girl like I did not get the read that she was kind of super unpopular I just think she was just she was neither popular nor unpopular yeah she was I don't know not popular <laughs> maybe, maybe because you think if unless you're kind of like dating the jocks in school that's the kind of vibe I get from American high schools that if you're like dating the jocks in school then you're automatically at the top mm. whereas you can be quite like Emma Stone's character in this, you be, can be quite, you know, attractive, interesting, funny, and kind of get along with everyone. But you don't have that kind of like step up because you're yeah. not. You don't have the counter male counterpart bit. Mm. And also, she was she. I'm not sure if she was invited to that big party, but people didn't certainly certainly go. What the hell are you guys doing here? It was kind of yeah. just like, oh, she's here. That's but that's fine. what I think. I think what I quite like about this film is that it. <laughs> it doesn't obviously play into the cliquey tropes that we normally get. You know, mm. I mean, there's a, there's a film, other film where it's kind of like you go around the cafeteria, it's like, this is where the jocks sit. This is where <laughs> the Asians sit. This is where, you know what I mean? Like that sort of like kind of like the social 
I don't know, hierarchy of what it is or what you're doing. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, even Clueless, like, that yeah. has that moment. Whereas this is like, everyone's just going to this school and, like, some people really like God. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, we do have, like, Olive, fun, like, there is a central conflict in him that she feels ignored and that, like, you know, as much as kind of this is maybe the wrong type of attention ultimately that she's getting by kind of being the school slut like <laughs> uh not to not to slut shame her i'm a very sex positive person but you know that she is at least enjoying that you know maybe she's not being talked about in quite the way she hoped but she is enjoying for once being talked about so maybe she's mm. not like the complete bullied outcast but she's certainly someone that would enjoy a little more attention and popularity than she receives so why do you think she didn't want to go with her, I can't remember what her friend's called, uh, out with her friend for that night? Was it just that she was, felt above it or she's tired of a, you, 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 I think you said quite an interesting thing, a toxic relationship with a friend. Just because sometimes you just want to hang out and be at home. Just wanna, yeah, just wanted to hang out at home. And... Well, because isn't the point that it was going to a weekend and like her best mate's got these super hippie parents that are just like, yeah. <laughs> just going to get naked. She's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do sorry, not yeah, want, I just want to chill out <laughs> at home and do nothing. But also her parents are the coolest people in the entire world. If those yeah. if my parents were Stanley Tucci and like a really like sex positive yeah, British, um yeah. is it what's it what's she called? Patricia Patricia, Patricia Clark. Yeah. Mm. I would never leave the house on the weekend either. Just sit around having <laughs> pasta with the Tooch. <laughs> That sounds very, like very rude. Like an that sounds like a euphemism for like something. <laughs> exactly. I, I would go with you, but my dad's the tooch, so I'm just gonna. Hey, hang out. I just bought his cookery <laughs> book, and the man knows what he's doing with pasta. Yeah, we had a we we had a uh, we did big night, didn't we? That's just that's, that's the Stanley Tooch joint. It is. Um, and Emma Stone's been in a few mm. previous episodes with um, La La La. the film, the, the musical that you hate. I also think Emma Stone is a really accessible kind of like. She's obviously a, a pretty girl, but she's not like the prettiest. Like, as in, like mm. she has got that girl next door quality to her. She's not like you know Rachel McAdams. Do you know what I mean? Like some people you kind of really see and are just like, oh yeah, they're like super. Boy. She's kind of like that's why, in a way, when she was in Superbad, her mm. playing the love interest to Jonah Hill is kind of like somewhat believable. And I can see the kind of dynamic in this where you know Wood Woodchuck Todd. <laughs> Ken Badgley, oh my God, die for him in this. But like seeing him, like this absolute gorgeous guy, I can understand why she might feel like, oh, uh, I'm the funny, I'm the funny girl who uh, maybe people don't get me because <laughs> I yeah, don't feed it... into the kind of like toxic kind of hierarchies of, <laughs> of of high school. Therefore, I don't think I've got a chance. So I can understand that kind of like rather than letting yourself go like if you don't if you don't try you don't get let down do you know what I mean you can't lose if you don't ever participate you cannot lose if you do not play yes exactly so Marla Daniels the wire you know and as they say you miss a hundred shot hundred percent of the shots you don't take and uh, absolutely she should have just shot her shot with Todd <laughs> So, yeah. um, we mentioned the parents, uh, the Toots and, and PC, the Patricia Clarkson. Um, I think a lot of teen <laughs> That's the films official ride, the PC, yeah, the, the Tooch and the PC. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of teen films ride or die by the by the parents, don't they? I think you put was it you, Helen, put a tweet out was saying, saying are these the best teen parents in in film history. Right? I, so I, I did. Who were the other ones? Who were the contenders for you? Well, I think these have like topped it. I couldn't think of anyone else. I was like, yep, this is it. These are these are my favourites. I think is is it Lisa Kudrow? Is she one of the parents in Booksmart? I think she's one of the parents in Booksmart, mm. but she's a bit cringe. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really like Eugene Levy in American Pie. He's not the teach though, is he? With his with his forearms. 
I want um, I want Amy Poehler in Mean Girls. In Mean Girls. To be my mum because I would wear, I'm definitely in my like naughty's phase of fashion and I feel like I would wear everything that she wears. I want that pink, <laughs> juicy. The, the pink colour, juicy tracksuit, yeah. <laughs> Layla, are there any other teen parents? I, I kind of want Nick Offerman and, um, and Megan Mullaney, but not in any roles. Like I want the actors Nick Offerman and Megan Mullaney to be my parents very much. Well, Nick Offerman, he's played a parent a couple of times. Well, they both have in um, Kings of Summer. Oh, yeah. Um, they're both, they're both oh, yeah. one of the kids' parents. And Nick Offerman was in that in that film, Out to Love, which I can't remember the name of. because it's Jordan Vogt um, Roberts' directorial debut. Uh, exactly. Well done. Yeah. First film club. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know him, so I'm trying to get him on. That's reminding me I should get him on. Right, note to self. What was that film we had with, with um, Sasha Lane in it and Nick Offerman and... Blythe Danner, the music. Heartbeat loud, no. Heartbeat, heartbeat loud. Heartbeat yeah. loud. Oh, you mean with um, Kiersey Clemens? Kiersey K- Clemens and Sasha Lane. Um, but yeah, Nick Hoffman was a great dad in that. I haven't actually watched that. I need holy, to watch that. Watch that. Holy moly! Yeah. Get, you, get yourself to Netflix. <laughs> get yourself to Netflix, <laughs> mate. <laughs> it's probably gone off Netflix by now, but it, it certainly was. Can I just say it for Stanley Tucci? Man knows how to wear a Henley shirt. Like he is fits in perfectly the arms like his arms in this Oof. so maybe i don't want him to be my dad yeah. maybe i want him to be my daddy <laughs> that's gonna be the clip of the show um thank you very much there. that is that is that is really the marker of becoming a woman where you go from wanting him to be your dad to your daddy mm-hmm. <laughs> um Layla, let's talk a bit about the slut shaming side of things as mm. it were because she seemed olive seemed quite in control of it or at least in, quite happy to let it propagate yeah just talk about that that side of things because it, it's this kind of sets it apart from all teen films pretty much because most teen films they don't want to be known as the slut where she she isn't in any way shape or form but she's happy to help people out yeah and she's almost a bit too helpful in a way it's funny because i i, you know, I do like this film very much and i don't want to kind of tire it with the same like problematic brush but I couldn't help but watch it and think about Britney Spears about Mm -hmm. how like this was kind of coming at a time or at at least at the end of a time where we really wanted women to express their sexuality but we didn't actually want them to have sex and I think it's really interesting that this is like a film all about people talking about kind of being sexually promiscuous and stuff and there's actually so little sex in it like basically Mm. none of these teenagers have sex with one another and it ends on a note of kind of none of your business so you know and maybe it'll happen on my wedding night which is actually like for something that kind of is in some ways taking on like some puritanical ideas about the way that we, you know, shame girls for if they dare to have any sexual thing. It's quite chaste at the same time. And like, it kind of made me think about like, well, what's a version of this where she actually just starts having sex halfway through and like actually kind of, you know, it, it stops becoming artifice and stuff and stops becoming performance. Like, I think it's, it's, it's a very, very, for me, uh, I think it came out in 2010. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Like it seems very, very of that time where, you know, like Holy we shit, had 12 the, years ago. like we had kind of Lolita fashion was like a big thing, but we still had the Jonas brothers wearing their purity rings, like that kind of like weird transition in the culture. Like the things she wears as well, like the, the corsets and things to school, just like would be completely normal thing to wear to school it's actually like, pretty the... tame compared to euphoria yeah. <laughs> yeah i've seen just started euphoria and that's uh already like whoa 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, like euphoria is like the 12 years later, or, you know, whatever, or how kind of our depictions of like teen sexuality has moved on in a way. Like we're actually, you know, allowing them to have like consequences of, uh, of, of, of being sexual beings in a way. I mean, perhaps that's just like one theory of it, but I did, I was interested in that balance that this takes with both kind of keeping her a virgin and also making her sexually empowered. And what do you guys feel about the guys that were engaging with her to, to try and elevate their stakes in the, in the sexual promiscuity world? Because I felt on reflection actually quite sad for every one of them that they're using it to hide the sexuality, using it to hide the fact that they felt horrible about themselves. Um, I mean, I feel no. bad for the gay, I feel bad for the gay guy because I do think that like that is something that is real taboo, and for him to not be able to be his authentic self, and for me that felt good. But I think what it shows actually is as how that narrative continues about the people who were suddenly jumping on as well. They were actually using it. It became a very misogynistic tool for them, where it's like, you know something that was supposed to be an empowering thing for her to claim back the narrative by saying, okay, if you're going to say that, I'm going to own it and I'm going to play it. And then suddenly it's like, you know, when eventually when it turns out one of them is actually thinks that she's actually having sex rather than pretending, yeah. then the reality sets in. It's like it becomes all about them. It's about their their manhood, their masculinity. And she's just a tool to like prop them up and like, you know, blow smoke up their ass. It's not about her anymore. And she's, you know, she's just been used. And I think that's where the track, like, that's where it gets, you know, you get really kind of like the really sadness about it. This, the sadness that still, once again, no matter what, like, I think it's so interesting when like you think, when you look back at like the sexual revolution, like liberation, women's lib movement, and how that was supposed to be a thing to say, actually we're free, and suddenly men started using that as a way of saying, oh, well, if you're going to fuck this, but, oh, sorry, we can't swear. Oh, we can't swear, okay. Can swear. So it's like, oh, well, if you're going to fuck outside of marriage, you can fuck me, and then suddenly you get this, in, it, not increased, but suddenly it becomes acceptable. Like, women are no longer allowed to say anything against sexual assault, and this is why we're in a situation we are now with Me Too. And I think, in a way, maybe not as explicitly it's doing that in this film, but I definitely felt... Like, if I look at that now and I think, oh, there's, like, hints of that. There's echoes within that in a smaller scale. But I think Layla's right. It's, you know, this is obviously specific, you know, this is a meta-narrative. It's not mm. only a play, like, meta-take on Scarlet Letter, but it's also referencing all the rom-coms, you know. So it's kind of like, it, it's in a way trapped within the confines of the tropes that it's sending up. So, yeah, it would have been cool if she actually just, like... She just should have just shagged Wood, Chuck, <laughs> Todd and made everyone happy. Well, maybe on a wedding day, maybe tomorrow. You never know. Um, on their own terms. The actual sex that is happening ends up having quite bad consequences. And that's kind of interesting. So I always forget when I watch it that that part's coming, that the, the guidance counsellor is mm. having sex with her student, which is... Well, technically, he's an adult, though. Remember, that's well, the only sex happens between like adults. <laughs> wasn't there? Wasn't there he's people in the school, pool though. in the party? Yeah, but what I mean, he's like, what he's supposed to come I in. Mean, the guy, the actor who plays it, he's like, what's so hilarious about it? He's like clearly twenty-eight. <laughs> 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 what's his name? He's he's like in Twilight as well, um, and he was in Burlesque, another great, <laughs> great naughty film. Um, but yeah, I yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The chlamydia situation. It's like don't have sex. <laughs> Very like it would pass. Maybe it would pass the code. <laughs> okay, let's head to the scores. 
I'm Hannah Flint from The First Film Club, a film podcast series dedicated to established and emerging talent, both in front of and behind the camera, and the feature debuts that launch their careers. From the new drama Mass to the cult classic Heathers, each episode is dedicated to a film, a guest, and the behind the scenes stories, memories, and advice from their time on set. Find us, The First Film Club, wherever you listen to your stripped media podcasts. Come join the club. Welcome to the Flix Watcher scores. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with you, please, Layla, with your recommendability. So recommendability, I'm going to go with a four in terms of how easy it is to recommend. As an example of the genre, I think it's a really good example. I recently rewatched the American Pie films and I you know, that would be a, a one, like actually aged like milk. <laughs> no. uh, this, I think, is a really like lovely, genuinely funny film, extremely charming. And like, I think it really shows why Emma Stone became a star. Hannah, recommendability score. Um, I'm going to go 4.5 uh, because I adore this film. I think it came at a time when, you know, the uh, the kind of, teen films we were getting this very specific subgenre of like classic lit to high school adaptations I think it was one of the last kind of ones that actually did it well um and you know after that came out a few others tried to do it but you know this one really captured a specific time I think it benefited from actually having great actors and the support and I think Emma Stone is you know it's made her as a leading lady and she's she's got that intelligence wit you know, good looking as well. And she's, I just think all those kind of things that kind of really made her stand out and super bad, but she really kept, really pushed through in this. And you just know why she's like, you know, Oscar nominated. Is she an Oscar yeah. winner now? Oscar winner? Yeah. I think she won for La La Land, didn't she? There yeah, she did. That she did. One of Helen's favourite films. Also, La La Land has been a, a previous episode here. So we've had, we've had Super Bad and, and, um, and La La Land and uh, now Easy A. Helen, recommendability score. I love Emma Stone in this. I absolutely adore her in this. I think she's brilliant. It's probably my favourite role of hers. And on that that alone. More than more than Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah, I think this is a little bit more fun. I think she's a bit more goofy in this, even though she's goofy in that. I think mm. her goofy side comes through a little bit. It's not really her film though, is it Crazy Stupid Love, I guess, either. Yeah, there's more of an ensemble. There's lots going mm. on in that one. Whereas I just think she's brilliant in this. And um, I gave Mean Girls and Clueless a five, so I'm going to have to give this a five as well because I probably think this is slightly above them all. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Um, I'm going to talk, talk from Helen. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, 4.1. I think, I don't think I... Sorry, I just really love the fact that you... <laughs> like, it's like decimal, so I'm like 4.5, whatever. It's like 4.1. <laughs> we've had, we've had, we've had pie. Adam Buxton gave pie. Mm. Uh, 1.3.141. He, he knew it's like three, like five or six decimal places. Um, <laughs> insane. Yeah, 4.1. I, I, I like it. Perhaps not as much as you guys. Um, but I think it's definitely, yeah, everyone should see it. And I think the 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 team parents are definitely top drawer in this. Um, but I think I'd like Nick Hoffman um, above the Tooch. But, <gasps> you know, as a dad, not a daddy. So Can't we have that's both? maybe where... You have to dance. Yeah. <laughs> Repeat viewing score, Layla. God, I, now that you've opened up this world of decimals, it's <laughs> yeah, go for it. A four point two five. I think I think what it is about Emma Stone that's like so transfixing is this is the same thing that I love about Andrew Garfield. Like she's got that real like 
theatre nerd heart where she's not allowed, she, like, she goes for it so much, she's not afraid to be embarrassing. So even when you know the beats of the story, I just think she's such an enjoyable force to watch and rewatch and rewatch again. Uh, Hannah? Yeah, um, I'd probably say 4.5, that I'm going to be consistent. <laughs> uh, I've watched this several times over and it's just, yeah, it's a comfort watch. Uh, Helen? Uh, yeah, a solid four from me. Yeah, ex- exactly that. It's comfort watch. Like it's got all the characters I like. It's one hour thirty two minutes. It sits oh, along nicely. We love. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, was that four? Yes, please. Um, I'm going for three. I think this is probably my third time watching it, and I've enjoyed it each time. But I don't think it's going to be my go to watch. But having said that, I was quite happy. Uh, I was like looking forward to the rewatch when you suggested it, Layla. Uh, and back to you, Layla, for the small screen score. Um, I actually think that maybe this almost benefits from the small screen because I think mm. it's kind of a real like cozy on the sofa with a blanket, watch it by yourself. Um, there's so few sets. It's basically like, it's not the most cinematic in, in terms no. of like filmmaking. So yeah, I, I mean, I think it's probably best watched on the sofa with a big mug of tea on a kind of Sunday evening. So yeah, I'm going to say 4.5. It's just getting better for me. <laughs> Hannah. Yeah, five. It's like, it's like the type of film that ITV2 would play several times. Oh, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like on the rotation. Ruined. It's just that sort of uh, movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect at home film and for everything Layla says, you know, it's not like you are going to be losing out on the theatrical thrill. <laughs> oh, busy. Unless you want to like listen to I got a bucket, I got a bucket sunshine, like in like Dolby digital sound. <laughs> yeah, no one needs that. Uh, Helen? I, I did watch this on a Sunday afternoon evening. Um, so yeah, it is perfect for that. So a five for small screen. Yeah, I'm going to go five for small screen as well. I don't think I get much out of it in the cinema, and even the collective experience, I don't think necessarily would be augmented by having it in the cinema. So I think five is perfect for this uh, engagement score, Layla. Um, I'm probably going to. I think we're kind of going to climax at the four point five. So I don't think it's getting going to get any higher than me for that. But the engagement score, I think the pacing of it is really great. So, um, like they said, like Aaron, thirty two minutes, really breezy. It's actually when you think about it, quite a thin premise. So the fact that they actually keep building and it doesn't get stale in the second act like you'd think it would. Uh, yeah, very good engagement. Hannah, it's interesting because it's like you know we've just you know repeat viewing versus engagement. Does the repeat viewing of the film cause like makes the kind of engagement dwindle because you still know what happens therefore you can kind of like know what's coming therefore you don't have to have rapt attention so I suppose in a way (laughs) getting scientific about it but uh the appreciating value I suppose on engagement the more you watch it go to many decimal places you can be as scientific as you want I think maybe um I'm gonna go just like a four because I think, yeah, I think once you, if you're going to repeat and watch it a lot, I think you can, you know, I, I suppose I'm talking personally here. I think sometimes I get a bit distracted if I know the movie very well. Um, and it's like, I know what the plot's are, even if I kind of look at my phone, I don't know, it's bad. I know. <laughs> but like, even if I look at my phone, it's like, I know exactly what's happened. I know what I missed out and maybe I can yeah. quote it back. Helen? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for a four as well. Um, seen it a few times, even if you haven't, it's probably one that you could like, watch but like not have to be like 100% concentrating because you're not going to miss any major plot points yeah I'm going for 3.5 this is again um a film I can happily be playing uh I don't know Candy Crush or something on my phone at the same time 
um, and st- still enjoy it. So that gives us an overall score of 4.3. Yeah, that's higher than I thought it was going to be. Hannah and Leila, can you sign off by telling the listeners where we can find you online? And we'll say goodbye to everyone who's listening to us. Uh, you can find me online, Twitter. I'm Leila underscore Latif, or you can find me pretty much in every issue of Total Film, Sight and Sound, Little White Lies. And um, I'll be at the AV Club till the end of the month. And yeah, I'm cousin uh, every month as well. Little White Lies is my favourite. Uh, Hannah. Yeah, uh, you can find me at the Fade of Black podcast, uh, First Film Club podcast. You can find me at MTV Movies. Uh, we're doing some specials and we've got some more cool ones lined up for the rest of the year. Oh, also the big issue. And so, oh God, <laughs> so house, I've started a column there. So if you're a bougie member, <laughs> enjoy my uh, spicy takes. That, that's where we bonded, Hannah. It is. A night where is. I can't remember how I got home. <laughs> I mean that's that's for another podcast I think <laughs> the Euphoria podcast um, yeah. thank you very much guys for listening and uh, say goodbye bye bye, bye. enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher podcast why not leave us a five star review on iTunes you can also follow us at Flix Watcher pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.